Hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to No Reservation. Kunapaski. I am 34 years old, she, her pronouns. I have worked in travel and tourism for the past 13 years. I am a sister, a daughter, an aunt, a friend, and I am an entrepreneur. And I try to let my journey in entrepreneurship be guided by um, those personal things that really define who I am outside of work. Terry Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today to share your story. Thank you, Joe. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. How many times in your life have people mispronounced your first or your last name? Many times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though they're pretty phonetically spelled. <laughs> what do they get wrong? Um, mostly the kind of pasky really throws them off. It's it's a lot of syllables. It looks a bit intimidating, <laughs> but it's it's literally pronounced exactly how it's written. Not so. the Terry Lynn. I feel like that like there's a hyphen in there sometimes. I've been too... called I've been called Carolyn, even yeah. if people are looking at Terry Lynn. <laughs> so. Classic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. humans. What do they know? Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Totally. So let's go back a little bit. Let's start at the beginning and, and move our way uh, to where we are. Tell me your uh, your backstory. Who are you and uh, and what are you doing here? Yeah, you, you're here at an interesting time because I've just sort of realized that this year marks um, half of my life being in Toronto. Mm. I grew up in Renfrew, Ontario, so I am a small town girl turned uh, city I, I I don't know. I'm a city person now. Um, I uh, definitely grew up living the rural life in a very, very um, traditional, exactly what you think of when you think small town Ontario. That's what Renfrew is. It's very um, monoculture, very Catholic, very white. <laughs> it's oh. very, um, but it was a great place to grow up. My, my childhood, we lived in the country still no cell service where my parents live in the house that I grew up in. They only just got Wi-Fi wow. <laughs> in the last few weeks. So very rural life where my siblings and our neighbors were our best friends and, you know, playing soccer in the in the yard and all of those things. Um, but I always knew that I wanted something more. Um, the small town life is great for some people but for me I was looking for a certain energy and experience that you just couldn't get there so when it came time to apply for universities I did look at Ottawa which is only a 45 minute drive away from Renfrew but I opted to come to Toronto um, I studied journalism at what is now Toronto Metropolitan University and at that time I went in thinking I wanted to be a foreign correspondent um, I really wanted to be on the ground with the troops in Afghanistan at the time. I pictured myself doing that kind of work and uh, getting into communities. From that perspective, I knew that it wasn't going to be easy to get there uh, from a career perspective. So when it came time to apply for jobs, when it came time to graduate, I was open to anything and everything. I was willing to go to the middle of nowhere, Manitoba, just for the sake of building um, a portfolio that would eventually lead me to the Globe and Mail or whatever. I ended up <laughs> at a, a small travel trade news company called TravelHotNews.com, <laughs> and it was based in Toronto, so that was great. No need to leave the big city for anywhere else. Um, and it was a really exciting start to what is now um, has been a really fulfilling and exciting career. So Travel Hot News, it was just me, myself and one other person. And wow. essentially the job was to do a daily newsletter for travel trade professionals in uh, Canada, primarily in the international space. So thinking tour operators, travel advisors, that sort of thing, uh, airlines, hoteliers. Um, so yeah, we did a daily newsletter. 
one thing led to another. We ended up uh, with a new colleague in, in the chair next to me, and we ended up rebranding Travel Hot News, thank goodness, <laughs> <laughs> to what is now uh, PAX, PAXnews.com, PAX Magazine, and that was an amazing uh, venture. And uh, PAX is sort of an industry term, right? Yeah, so PAX is the industry term for, for passengers. So okay. back in the day when you know people, everything was um, hand to paper, it would yeah. be th- three packs that you were booking, a travel yeah, yeah. advisor was booking, yeah. on any any trip so um it was a really exciting time i'm sure we'll get into it later because there was a lot a, a lot of that was very formative in my career and what i really learned I, I enjoyed and needless to say at the time my mom was really happy to know i was reporting from the beaches of jamaica versus you know the, the, front, <laughs> the front lines, lines in, in afghanistan, afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. yeah um so things really took a turn and I, I again i took that job thinking you know this this is a portfolio building opportunity for me um but it became so much more. I, 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 in my life, hadn't really traveled that much. And suddenly I was 21 years old, sitting at the front of the bus on my way to Taiwan for an assignment, you know. Wow. And uh, front of the bus, another industry term, you know, yeah. front, business class seat. <laughs> so um, it was a real turn of events. I wasn't making great money, but the experiences that I was having uh, because of this job were invaluable. Um, at that time. Uh, and yeah, one thing led to another, the, the, the business grew, we, we were on the ground. That's what we became known for. And I, I really think that it led to a shift in the travel trade media space here overall, in that it inspired the sector in general, the media, the media space to really, um, be on the ground more. You know, we were on the ground, we were at events, we were talking to people, we were really getting into the news of things. And then you saw that sort of influence the way the other media companies were, were doing their work as well. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a good time. And I was so young and so naive. And so in my mind, I could do anything I wanted, you yeah. know, and I, I, uh, the leadership team was based in Montreal. So I had a relative am- amount of auto- autonomy to really take things by the reins and, and, and do what I wanted. And, and it was really exciting. But that, of course, you know, that the natural evolution to trade reporting is then to get into uh, consumer writing. Right. And I was really lucky to then take a job with a company called My Passion Media. And My Passion Media um, had, at the time, a travel trade publication called CT and a consumer publication called Canadian Traveler. And so I moved into the editor-in-chief position. We were doing a, um, a quarterly a consumer magazine and a monthly uh, travel trade publication. And there were iterations in that time. I got to work with one of my best friends um, as she was the publisher. And we really got to, you know, just evaluate what stories are we telling? How are we telling these stories? Who do we want to be working with? What do we want this magazine to represent? And it was... um, a really fun time um, and again got to travel to some amazing places and see amazing things and really make some of the greatest friendships that I in, in my life to this day because of that work that is really amazing the social side of a career especially in the early years when you're coming up it's just so important and those relationships stick with you you know in the long and that's so great to hear so profound and yeah. I, and I think that one of one of the most beautiful things is that even in that space I mean so much of my success was thanks to the support of so many people in the industry and even so, some people it's we, we don't call we don't text but then when we do see, see each other it's just like no time has passed and it's yeah. you can really appreciate just who they are and what they've done for you yeah. uh, even if it's not friendship in that way that you know you or I text or, you know, who, yeah. whoever. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was a really beautiful thing, but, um, we'll get into this later <laughs> as well. I mean, like it was, I was doing a lot of work, uh, on limited budgets and it was just not a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. So looking at my next move, okay, what do I know? What do I like? What do I want to do? Where do I want to be? And an opportunity came up to work with a consulting firm in Toronto, um, Ooh. that specialized in sustain- sustainable tourism development. So I moved over there, um, and it was a bit of a whirlwind, but ultimately within the, the first few months, 
once landed in a director role leading the team, but then also working with experienced providers in other countries, Croatia, the Azores, New Zealand, and helping them establish relationships with tour operators and agencies in Canada and the U.S. to help them sell their product um, to to travelers here. So that was a a big part of my work. And then also doing um, strategic planning for uh, mostly local in in Ontario uh, municipalities and DMOs. DMO meaning? Uh, destination management organizations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, travel is definitely, the, the industry is, is rife with acronyms. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so then what? Well, then, uh, as, as Lenny put it, we all know what happened in March 2020. Um, and because our business was so reliant on international travel um, yeah. companies who were on- not only not making money, they were having to give money back to prospective clients. Yeah. They didn't have money for us. Yeah. And we sure as hell had no idea how to best support them in our work. And so those relationships had to be put on pause. Yeah. And of course, at the time, it's really funny to reflect on the conversations we were having you know, in March and April 2020 as though we had any idea yeah where things were going to go you know everybody's just kind of flying by the seat of their pants and thinking well let's what if we try this and what if we we try that because some of them also didn't really want to let go you know they had they wanted to hang on and not lose the relationships and those connections that we were that we were building but the reality was at the time everything had stopped um So that led to a shift in that business model to really enhance our focus on the local uh, destination management planning, doing tourism strategies for for smaller municipalities, because for some reason those were still happening, that 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 business was still alive and well, and that really sustained us. It was a really hard time. Um, It was a really hard time to work in tourism. It was a really hard time to, I wasn't, I didn't own the business, but I, 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 I had a team that I was responsible for, you know, creating a culture where people wanted to, to show up and to be motivated at that time. It was really hard. It was hard for me, mm-hmm. let alone to show up and, and, you know, expect that of anybody who I was working with, you know, and I think that it just it, 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 it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I made a move actually to one of the t- tourism strategies that I wrote. One of the recommendations was to hire a tourism manager and that municipality ended up hiring me to be their tourism manager. Oh. At the time, yeah, it was great. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, though, altruistic me thought, okay, imagine the impact that I can have going into this rural municipality, being their first ever tourism manager, and imagine like what I can do for this community that can have impacts regionally that can then have impacts provincially that can then have impacts federally. Like I really saw a lot of potential and I knew, I knew it well because I had done the tourism strategy. I saw so much potential for this municipality. Um, Long story short, I was not born to be a bureaucrat. (laughs) Uh, So I, it, it was really, really hard for me to get used to, not having things done quickly. Mm. It was really hard for me to get used to going through all of these channels of approvals for for money and decision making and all of these things. I say it made me a better consultant because I really got to understand the inner workings of these organizations that you don't generally have to consider when you're building a tourism plan. You get right. to write it down, you get to hand it over and you have to get to say good luck, yeah. have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but being on the other side and understanding the limitations of these government organizations organizations it, it's a whole other beast yeah. and uh anyway i wasn't meant to be there but it was a really great stepping stone it allowed me to take the time and step back and say okay again what do i want to do how do i want to do it and one thing had become very clear over the past few years was that i'm not really good at working for other people mm. and so i had always wanted to start my own thing um i was really lucky that in the first few jobs in my career i i was in a position to uh essentially treat the job that i was in as though it was my own business 
but of course with that level above that always had that final that final say in things so it was a time it was a time for me to launch taunt and uh, taunt consulting inc was established just over a year ago in may 2022 uh, remembering the year we're in um yeah just over a year ago in may 2022 and that's sort of where i am today and it's been an amazing first year and i'm just really excited about uh, what the what the next year and years to come have to have in store fabulous what an amazing story uh so tell me about taunt the word what mm. on earth does taunt mean and why would one name their <laughs> consulting company taunt yeah so in a roundabout way um i when i when it was time to establish this business i was at a place where i was very frustrated with the work life system how we have to build our lives around work how we have to ask permission to go to a dentist appointment or a doctor's appointment um in October, before I um, left my job at, at at the municipality, my sister had a baby and I was with her and, and there to help her. But I was then taking calls about things that I really, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. didn't, it, they didn't matter. When right? compared to new life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just, it, and I, I I felt so deflated and you know, what does that say to my sister about me needing to like say, okay, hold on, I'm here to help, but yeah. I got to go take this call about something that like, I don't even remember now what it was. Like yeah. it was just so insignificant, yeah. but it was my job right. and I needed to show up. And so when it came to building my business, I really wanted it to be values oriented and really built on this, you know, these business values, but also personal values. And what I was looking for was balance. Yeah. I really wanted to be able to make space unapologetically and uh, without stress for myself and to make room for the things and the people that I love most in life and that really make me happy. And to some degree, work is that for me as well. I really love to work, yeah, but I, I I, wanted work to be, um, if, if work is so closely connected to who I am as a person, I really wanted to lean into that and, and make, make it be personal. And so taunt, is the French word for ant. Um, and I've also learned that it is um, many other languages, I think Germanic also, and it, it, Italian, Tante, it's uh, also ant. And so what means the most to me in life? You know, my I, I'm a relatively new ant. I have three nephews now. And making time for them and watching them grow and, and being there for them is so important to me. But then I also saw alignments in like who I am as a consultant and an organizational leader. Um, to the role of being an aunt, you know, be, being there and understanding like you're not the parent, just like you're not, you know, you're not working for an organization directly, but you have this responsibility to lead and guide and be there when they need you. And so I thought that that sort of representation, um, that dual representation was, was lovely. And I wanted to be reminded every day, don't get sucked into this world mm. of work, you know, because there are these far more important and far more beautiful things um, in life that that really are going to be the, the you know what what make life beautiful at the end of the day. So um, it's very personal, but I I I wanted it that way. Good for you. Thank you. I commend you on your capacity to first be self aware enough to know what's important to you. Uh, I think that's a big part of uh, the journey. I, I think. Some people find themselves further along that continuum than others, and maybe self-awareness and, and personal discovery is is a bit of a, a gift for the privileged, but I think it's something that all of us can access. So that's amazing for you. And then to have that, you know, the courage to really shape a career and even go to the extent that you are designing into the DNA of your consulting business your own values. I think that's really amazing. I don't know how often 
people say that's really great, but you should feel really good about that. That's, Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I did say this, this is <laughs> what I wanted to do. I'm not, I don't know if I'm being so successful at finding hey. that balance, but I, I would say it's a practice. Yeah. I, it's, it's an ongoing practice. Right. And I think just having that mindfulness every now and then to Absolutely. just slow down and step back is, is important. And, uh, it, it just makes me better at my job. Yeah. Yeah. I think, a lot of people refer to that as the North Star, right? Like, I mean, you can have the North Star in a strategy, in a business sense, where it's like, we are aiming for X, Y, Z. But I also think that it's great to have things to strive towards in our personal lives and in our professional lives. And I don't know very many people who have said, I am totally like, I'm rocking the work-life balance exactly the way <laughs> they're like. It is always a work in progress. and it all, But the fact that you're even thinking about it and, and building it into the DNA of your company is really cool. So Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's go back a little bit. Okay. So I heard early on in your career the kind of the desire to get into journalism mm -hmm. and working in the world of media, specifically, you know, almost finding your way into the world of travel uh, and tourism mm -hmm. media. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's a, a pretty natural part of everybody's career development, in my opinion. Again, it's just we're, we're all kind of moving along one step at a time, especially in the early years of our career, we don't necessarily have all the choices that we would like to have to be able to work for exactly who we want to mm. or exactly what organization we want to. So I think that that's a, you know, an interesting way to get into it. But, you know, just broadly speaking, having gone to school for journalism mm -hmm. and having worked in the media world and having kind of found your way out of the media world, Media is an industry that has been faced with a lot of disruption, not just COVID-related disruption. I think that accelerated a lot of change in mm -hmm. our lives. But I think media has faced a lot of disrupt and disruption, digital disruption, uh, the kind of moving from we are the experts on everything to crowdsourcing expertise. Mm -hmm. Like, give me your perspective on what is working in the world of media today? Not necessarily just travel and tourism media, but media broadly. Like what's working? What's really meeting needs? And then, you know, what's fallen apart? Because also kind of where we sit right now, you know, middle of June, 2023, there, there was very recently an announcement of, you know, Bell Media, again, pretty big, well-resourced company, you would imagine, starting to wind down some radio stations and some, like, you know, give us your perspective on it. Like what's going on? What's working? What's not working? Where are we? It's really interesting because when I was studying journalism, it was just as major news outlets were launching websites. Okay. Right? Yeah. Their news was going online. And so much of the discussion was how do we monetize this? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's so funny to reflect on that time because yeah. it doesn't seem like that long ago, but how things have changed, you know, in, yeah. in that, uh, however many years it's been. And yeah, I, I, what is working? I, I think that it's really important that there are opportunities now for, uh, community led storytelling, social media, allowing people to capture and share stories. Uh, for the most part, it's yeah. it's exciting to be able to lend that that voice to people um, and give people that opportunity to tell stories from within their own community. What, what's what's not working is yeah yeah that professional journalism and those those experts who have the resources and the skills to be able to dig deep into stories that are so, so formative to the way our society operates in a lot of cases. Um, I, I saw recently on a post by uh, Liz Renzetti, who is a journalist at the Globe and Mail, a columnist, somebody had commented uh, how what, every, every fewer journalist on staff is another story that goes untold. And it's, it's so true. And I think that journalism is so much and media is so much about holding people accountable mm. and without the resources to do that without the, the the people in place to do that um our our governments our organizations the these the, the powers that be have a lot more latitude to do things without being held accountable right and that's a problem yeah and not to call them out you know exclusively but i think we saw that in the U.S., especially with like the you know the White House press corps, who to a certain extent their entire existence is to hold 
big government accountable and what started to happen within the culture just as an observer it's not a political statement just as as an obser observer what happens when that media doesn't have that opportunity to question decisions or what happens when that media doesn't have the opportunity to kind of you know move forward on behalf of the general public to say what's going on and then even the ability to convey those messages back out i i also have the same kind of uh you know that i have that mindset that i think i want a world where media is reporting on things a so that i am an informed human being or consumer if there's something that i'm actually laying down my dollars and cents for but b because i think that it plays an important role in just in keeping us all in check right like left alone i think human beings can be a little destruct destructive mm -hmm. if they're only focused on their own self-interest so i think you know media has a has an important role completely i want to ask you uh, now kind of getting specifically into the travel and tourism media world mm -hmm. i often notice that there is a really unique divide between the trade publications mm -hmm. in our field specifically and the consumer publications mm -hmm. I think consumer publications, I, it, I'm asking you because you've got kind of, you've got experience on both sides, both as somebody who's contributed to it, but also as somebody who, who reads it or who engages in it. I think the consumer publications, quite, frank, quite frankly, are, are a reflection of commercial interests more and more than they used to be. Uh, you know, yeah, why do we continue to promote these same destinations to Canadians, you know, when we don't talk about this incredible experience that's, you know, less than 100 kilometers away from where you're living in your own country. I think that that is an interesting kind of perspective, the consumer media and the in the tourism, travel, hospitality world. But then also the trade media in our industry. And I have a, a you know, like a, I have a little fear that trade media in our industry isn't holding the mirror up to the industry the way that I would like it. To. And I think, so again, my question to you goes back to like, what, what's the present state of trade media and consumer media in the travel and tourism industry from your perspective? What, what are you seeing? The reality is that these publications rely on advertising dollars to function. Right. And because of that deep reliance the advertisers, whether or not anyone wants to admit it, have a lot of editorial control. Right. Whether or not they're saying write this or don't write this, they don't need to because as uh, an editor or contributor, you you know who's who at the end of the day is responsible for your paycheck. Right. So you are everybody is is going in the same positive, you know, happy direction yeah. without that self-criticism or that yeah. inward looking you know what are what are the challenges here what are we missing who are who are the voices that we're centering and who are we not there there is none of that because it, at the end of the day it's it's more about I, I might get in trouble for saying this but like it, it's it's about um self-gratification for the publishers and self-gratification for the advertisers and for the people who you know want to be part of this kind of party atmosphere and i, I like metaphorically speaking yeah. like this really you know good time industry and it can only be a good time if you don't step back and look at the problems and the challenges that need to be addressed. Yeah. So that's that that's what it is. Yeah. And I, the same is true. And that that's largely speaking to trade. I, I know that a lot of the challenges do apply to consumer media as well. But it's funny because everybody, you know, in, in those early years of my career, everybody would say how I was a travel journalist. And I would say, no, I, I'm not a travel journalist. I'm a travel writer. Because if I was a travel journalist, I would be going into these <laughs> these countries and these places Absolutely. and 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 being a little bit yeah. more critical and, and looking for those stories that really shine a light on, you know, what is tourism actually doing here? You yeah. know, how how are people being impacted? What what is what are the communities what, being asked to do at yeah. the sacrifice of their own culture or even um just self um for the sake of placating western visitors absolutely you know yeah. so I, no i wasn't a, a journalist there isn't yeah. a ton of 
travel journalism yeah, going yeah. on. Um, and it's a bit it's a bit sad. And yeah. I think, you know, reflecting back, there are things, of course, that I would have done differently. At the same time, again, it comes back to your hands are, are tied a yeah. lot of the times. But you got lots of life and lots of career ahead of you. So, you know, you got lots of opportunity to make up any any of those regrets can be turned into That's true. pretty amazing opportunities. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that I that I find with media you know, that's, that's a little bit challenging. And, you know, I, I think that we are in a world now where there are businesses who have figured some things out, businesses and maybe even individuals. Uh, and I always like to see the sharing of resources mm. and the sharing of ideas, you know, and, and especially in an industry that, in my opinion, collectively, it's hard to even talk about the tourism industry you know, broadly, because there are so many components of it, you know, there's the food and beverage restaurant mm -hmm. side and food tourism, almost there's the accommodations and, and, you know, and hotels and resorts and, and, and motels and things like that. You know, there's the travel service experience of booking a travel experience or travel agency or any of those things. There's the transportation, you know, transportation, getting on the airlines or getting on a train. And there's a lot and, mm -hmm. and, and recreation and, events and entertainment and concerts and cultural festivals and stuff. there's so much diversity in our industry but i think that we are in a stage in the world and maybe this is just a statement about canadian tourism industry broadly where we could really benefit from helping each other from lifting each other up from a business concept and success you know place because if you and I, so the, actually you and I are really are both consultants. Most of what I do is in the workforce development talent kind of stemming from my background of working in industry and working in education and how do we kind of now kind of design and implement really great training programs and workforce strategies and yours uh, is a little broader tourism strategy specifically, big picture planning. But, you know, we've had the ability over the last year or so to sit down and have some pretty great conversations about what's working on your side, what's working on my side. And I've, I feel like uh, I've really benefited from this relationship. And I hope that, you know, at the very least there's a conversation on the other side where if you, I feel confident that if you had a question that you thought I could answer, you'd pick up the phone and you call me and you know, we'd figure that. For sure. So, and how do we now lead by example to start to make sure that that skill and that experience and that expertise becomes a little bit more, publicly available. And I, I always, maybe this is just an ideal and maybe I've got it wrong and I'm happy to be wrong about this. Like that's where I think the opportunity lies in trade publications to say, you know, Hey, look at this over here. This company has really figured out, I don't know, supply chain challenges. They've really figured it out. And for that story or for that content to be less about selling something to somebody who's already oversold mm -hmm. and to be more about here are some really cool tools and resources that everybody can access. And again, you know, I'm not beating up on fucking capitalism. Capitalism is important. I'm not naive. We live in a world where that, you know, we, we need a healthy, robust economy. Mm. I think I'm just fumbling towards, you know, advocating for, conscious capitalism right like where's the happy medium and so i guess is there such thing? flipping back to you well so is is the media business model mm -hmm. and let's hone in on trade media for a second is it broken like it like is the business model of the only way to generate money as a media company is to get dollars and cents from advertisers who want a say in what we're doing is that at the root of some of the problems that not just us as an industry are facing that the media world broadly is starting to bump into okay well is it broken no it's working exactly as it has been designed to do so i'm naive <laughs> yeah okay, that's perfect. exactly I'll, that's I'll, exactly how it's I'll designed crawl to out work. from under my rock and uh and just let that go yeah however is there a space for new practice that could be beneficial to more 
more people in the industry because truly the the publications right now are speaking to uh, a very select few, primarily oh. decision makers and not the people who are, um, you know, telling you to buckle your seatbelt on an aircraft or right. the people serving your meals at a restaurant Absolutely. or you know, cleaning your dish. Like, no, the, the, they're, nobody's speaking to them. Yeah. Nobody's listening to them. Yeah. And so is there an opportunity to create a, uh, you know, a space for those voices who are truly the foundation and the bedrock of a successful tourism industry. Yes, absolutely. There is space for that. Yeah. It has, it, it also comes down though to, to, to creating trust and relationships. So those people who have been mm. so long ignored can feel comfortable and confident being willing to share, you know, what do they want to hear and who do they want to hear it from? So there is an opportunity there. It, it, it'll take work to yeah. do it right. Yeah. And I think, thanks for sharing that perspective. That's, that's, that's fabulous. Like, I think the interesting thing is we are inevitably in a state of pretty significant change. And, you know, again, the change that I think was, was required and was looming on the horizon for the tourism industry collectively goes back far beyond the pandemic yeah. time. But I think the pandemic, just like it impacted the media world, it, it accelerated the need for change in the tourism industry broadly. And I think, you know, you kind of referenced it with values and sustainability and kind of wanting to, you know, work for yourself and, and really own your own destiny. You know, I think a lot of that sentiment exists in the tourism industry workforce broadly. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes as we're moving forward, uh, it makes me wonder whether, whether those things that are a little less tangible than just are there jobs are they getting paid you know is there a is there a labor labor shortage or is there a skills mismatch sometimes i think it moves beyond that even to a bit of a human level of is this person okay you know and, and not to play armchair psychologist because i i am not for sure but you know is this person okay and is this group of people okay and wait a minute is this are is the workforce in this industry okay and sometimes i i still you know that thought rattles around my brain a lot in terms of like why do we continue to have prolonged talent and labor challenges that we do and and trying to figure that out so that we can move forward again not to beat up on anything it's not about assigning blame it's just how do we move forward you know i want to see uh, a canada that has a robust tourism industry and so how do we get to that place so you know and again asking you to kind of look into your crystal ball here as a as a consultant and as somebody who's who's been in the media world and, and i think has a great grasp of of your own values what does a values centered tourism industry look like to you in the next you know three to five years like like what are the things that you would like to see change in those municipalities or individual businesses or destination marketing organizations or, or regional tourism organizations or any of the organizations that you are working with as a consultant? What do you, what do you want to see them get into? What do you want to see them put in place to build a bit of a better future? I'll answer your question a bit in a bit of a roundabout way. It, it's, it's been said time and time again, just how the pandemic really illustrated to us who are who are the people that keep our societies functioning it's the people working the cash at the grocery stores and those, those frontline people who generally are making minimum wage right that's fucked up <laughs> you know that, yeah. that we rely on you so heavily but we are not going to compensate you based on the value that you are bringing to our society right maybe it doesn't feel like a big deal you know when to our individual lives yeah. but we saw that this was incredibly necessary for the function of our towns our cities our communities yeah. so this brings me back to community it brings me back to people who are not who are not necessarily considered leadership from 
from uh, you know a structural level, but people who are carrying the burden of making things work. So when it comes to tourism planning, tourism strategy, tourism storytelling, at Taunt, our focus is very much about community. Uh, it's not about the the councils or the uh, um, senior management teams at these municipalities. It's about the people on the ground who are building communities and experiences and um, those touch points for whether it's residents or visitors, people walk away with with a good experience. So for me, I think that the most beneficial um, economically, socially, environmentally uh, approach to tourism as an industry, if we're thinking from a community level, it, it's about the residents, not the visitors. Make make some somewhere a great place to live by focusing on um, empowering entrepreneurs and social programs and that sort of thing. And by making some place a great place to live, it inherently will become a great place to visit. It'll become a place where residents want to bring their friends and family from out of town to show them, this is my home and I'm proud of it and I want to share it with you. From a industry perspective, from a business perspective, it's about caring for uh, those frontline staff, the the um, housekeeping staff, the wait staff, the people at the back of house, um, the people who are ringing out our grocery, ringing through our groceries. It's about focusing on the people who, for so long, have have mostly been ignored, um, but who number one are face to face with guests and visitors every day and really know what people are looking for because they're having those conversations and 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 number 2 just making sure that things function. I think that there has to be more accountability for C-suite executives who are making decisions under the guise of sustainability but really it's for corporate interests. You and I have had this conversation. I've shared this story about um, green initiatives at hotels and how um, in fact, you know, you don't want your your sheets cleaned or new towels and you put that thing on your your door saying no thanks. But really what that means is that a woman, generally a black woman or a, a person of color, then doesn't get to work the hours that they need to work to be able to uh, earn benefits to afford childcare. And so these decisions are, are, are not at all helping those people on the front lines um, who are responsible for keeping our industry functioning. So there needs to be a shift. There needs to be more accountability. Consumers need to start asking questions. Um, and we have to stop, uh, generally speaking, taking things at face value. We need to hold people accountable and we need to be really thinking about the decisions that we're making as consumers, as, as consultants, as tourism professionals, and how are we going to have the most positive impact that will, you know, one decision at a time make for a better industry. Wow. Thank you. Beautiful. A lot of wisdom there. A lot of work for us to do as an industry, but I think the things that you're sharing there are really, really impactful. And you said it earlier. What a profound change that would be if, if we were in an industry that, you know, prioritized those kinds of things that you referenced. And I think we can do it, Joe, even in our own businesses. I, you know, just, just focusing on it's so much of the industry. You go to conferences, you look at the media, at newsletters, and just just look at, we, we have to be more cognizant, like whose voices are being centered and whose are not. Mm. And it's often the decision makers who, I think it's fair to say, rarely are on the ground speaking to the to the people who are making things happen and, and who are bearing the burden of the decisions that they're making. Um, I think a lot of times, too, you look at C-suites and executive and management levels within hospitality and tourism organizations, and for the most part, you're looking at white men of a certain age or white women of a certain age, and then when it comes to the people who are actually on the ground, there's far more diversity. Um, there are a lot of black folks, indigenous folks, people of color who, who are then again, bearing the burden of a broken system in a lot of cases, being paid shit money for it, and still expected to show up with a smile on their face and give great service. Yeah. yeah. It's also a model that 
is broken, or in my opinion, a model that needs amendment. We need to have... Revolution. We need to have <laughs> financial success, but that financial success needs to pull everybody along with it, right? Living wages, benefits, work-life balance, understanding, compassion in the workplace, empathy in the workplace. You know, it's those all need to be integrated into that financial model. That's why I've sort of settled on the kind of concept of of conscious capitalism, right? Like mm -hmm. it's it's way idealistic to say that that those big huge business structures and corporate interests are going to go away or that the or that the government's not going to prioritize them or pay attention to them. I think it's more you know, more realistically idealistic that we can integrate values, authentic values, uh, you know, and diversity and equity and inclusion and and accessibility and that overall sense of belonging that we can actually incorporate that into these kind of capitalist structures that we've we've inherited so i think that that's i think that at least from my perspective that's and it sounds like you're sort of in agreement that's that's the path forward it's a little bit of everything right yeah and i i, I every day i have to ask myself okay every day maybe that's an exaggeration but truly in the way i run my business thinking about how can i live out these values in my in my own work yeah. uh, my my business model it's just me on the taunt team yeah. uh employed by taunt yeah. however it's about building community and Absolutely. a collective of collaborators who have complementary skill sets and who have the same sort of values who want to see the same sort of industry that i do who yeah. i can learn from and who hopefully uh, they can learn from me too and so we're working together towards this you know grander vision yeah. but it's so much of it for me is about okay but who is what does that community look like yeah i Ooh. i I think that I you know I do have the power to employ people, to give people, to, to support people's livelihoods and to center voices that otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity. And so when it comes to building this community, I'm very cognizant of creating space and power for people who don't often have it. And by that, I'm talking about historically marginalized folks, uh, people from the queer community, black folks, indigenous folks, people of color, and not only does that help me live out my values it adds so much value to the work that I'm able to deliver to my clients because they're getting the the benefit of diverse diverse lived and personal experience um so it, it and it's simple things like that as a as an entrepreneur where is your money going and who's who are you holding space and power for um and for me that comes down to the collaborators that I work with it comes down to the third-party vendors that I work with um it you know who it, uh who am I giving money to? Who am I buying uh, dinner from? Like if I'm hosting a dinner, who, what what is the restaurant like, and and who owns it, and what kind of space do they help do they hold for people? It's being very very intentional with every dollar, um, and and not only just creating space. Uh, you know, you have to be very cognizant, especially given my social location. I'm a white woman. How how do I go about this mindfully without tokenizing tokenizing people? And it's very much that not only creating space but giving power to the people that you're creating space for here here and we're recording today's podcast at taunt headquarters uh in in downtown ish toronto at least downtown it's downtown toronto. to me because i don't live in the city anywhere but uh, on my way down here i i was driving past a school and there was a sign in the window that said inclusion is an action belonging is an outcome mm-hmm it was really interesting. I don't know. It just stuck with me because it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you create belonging by taking the actions of building inclusive workplaces or communities or cultures or families or practices. So. Mm -hmm. All right. I got three questions for you. Okay. Because we it's try to wrap. Time. Yeah. We try to wrap up the podcast with the same three questions. And my hope is at some point we'll look back and there will be hundreds of these interviews and we'll be able to say, hey. You know, it was interesting. There's some some things that are happening here. Th some things that are in common. So, so closing question number one: mm. Over the course of your career, what has been the single most significant adversity that you have had to face? Mm -hmm. In one word, burnout. 
I think that I have been so focused on being successful and doing the very, very best at everything that I do that it's come at the expense of my own mental health. And um, it it really threw me for a loop. And, and that's where I was before I started Taunt. I had to take a mental health leave from my employer and um, I had to reset. Um, and that was, that was, that was tough. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry for that. That's, that's tough. So leads us into question number two, of mm -hmm. course, if you felt comfortable. I do. How did you overcome that adversity? Mm -hmm. I, 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 it's important to acknowledge that I, was in a very, very privileged space to live with a partner and, and, and have the um, circumstances that allowed me to take time off. And time off was really important to be able to reset and take care of myself. And that was, you know, meditating, that was exercising, that was doing nothing at all. Um, and just really refilling the, my battery. And we didn't talk about this, but it, this is another, you know, paid sick days and, and uh, employers not being able to offer that to people, the government not being able, not dis, not deciding not to support employers in doing that. It is so important to take care of people and to, yeah. you know, give people those opportunities because at the end of the day, it costs, it costs employers so much money uh, to, uh, you know, have to give people employment leave or to replace staff that can't just can't do it anymore. So um, I was I was very, very lucky to have had access to that sort of support and to be able to take the time to really just take care of myself. And that's what it was. It was it was just stopping. And I think that this should just be a part of the way our, our society works is that everybody just gets to stop for a little bit because it is so necessary. And, and back to that, you know, putting your another industry um, colloquialism, um, you know, putting your own mask on first. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's difficult and good for you for putting yourself first and navigating your way through that. Although I'm sure it's always continues to be a work in progress. It's right? a practice yeah. for sure. For sure it is. It's, you know, making time every day to exercise or take a walk or, you know, just stand up from your computer yeah. screen, you know? Totally. Yeah. And so third and final question then, what lesson did you learn that you think you can apply to the rest of your career? Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, it, it goes back to what I just said about like that practice yeah. like take self-care is a practice. Um, and so being able to make time for myself again in a very fortunate position where I'm in control of my own schedule and I can take a break when I need it and just making, making sure that I do and checking in with myself and, um, yeah, just making time, making time for, for myself. And I think also, um, having conversations like this and, and sharing sort of that, that the importance of, of mental health care and taking care of people within organizations, empathy is such an important, if not a pivotal part of leadership. And so, um, also employing that in, in how I approach team, teamwork and community building. So. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Joe. This has been an amazing conversation, as always. I so appreciate your ability to sit here and share and, and reflect on your own experience. It's not always easy for everybody to dig back into that and try to find a way to uh, apply it to the future, but uh, I think you've done it uh, beautifully, and I really appreciate uh, how much energy and emphasis you've placed on values and, and you know building a better future. So thank you so much, and congratulations. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, doing for hosting. This. Oh, anytime. And as always, if anybody is still listening, you know, we wish you luck and success on the road ahead, uh, wherever your journey takes you. Thanks, Terry Lynn. Thanks, Joe. No Reservation has been produced by Amanda Christine and is a Joe Baker & Co. production. Check us out at www.thejoebaker.com.